Hello, welcome to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. I'm your host, Garrett Ashley Mullet, and it's been a few weeks. <clears throat> I uh, got pretty busy with uh, work and a family reunion, and uh, this has been kind of the first chance I've really had in a, on a morning to pull out the microphone, <clears throat> record an episode. I'd actually started to uh, record an episode here oh, a week and a half ago, maybe, about hunting. And uh, it just didn't, I didn't have time to finish it up. And uh, rather than jumping back into it after a week and a half or two weeks and then trying to remember what all I had said and what all I had not and all that, I figured, well, I'll just, I'll start a new one. Uh, you know, a couple of exciting things have happened and taken place since uh, my last episode. Uh, one of them being that uh, I might very shortly here be offered the position officially. It, I think it's it's all but official at this point of uh, regional supervisor for automation services at ZI. Uh, that would be a promotion. Right now I'm an automation technician in Montana and North Dakota. I work out of the Sydney, Montana office. And uh, if I were given this promotion, which it looks like I will be, I will be the uh, supervisor over the Rockies, basically, uh, for automation services. And uh, so that'll be cool. That That's something I'm really, really excited about. I don't think... Uh, I don't think everybody's cut out for management, and time will tell whether I am or not. Uh, but I will say, uh, and I, I told my manager uh, who was interviewing me for this position, you know, I, my spare time activity is, uh, or one of them anyway, is uh, playing strategy games. I, I just really, really enjoy strategy games and uh i i like you know being able to take a high level view of of things uh especially when there's some competition um you know playing just against yourself just organizing things for the sake of organizing them is uh that's one thing you know and that's all right sometimes but uh you know we've I mean, um, automation is a competitive field there are other companies that are uh trying to uh, get into the market of uh you know creating the devices installing the devices getting them communicating in creative ways getting things programmed maintaining troubleshooting uh displaying etc etc and uh so you know looking at this position, looking at this industry uh, as a strategy game is, I mean, you, you could hardly call that work for me. That, that's, uh, that's, that's my bread and butter. And then being able to actually make decisions in some form or fashion, having a platform to be able to speak directly to our decision makers at ZI, very exciting for me. And, uh, We'll see. You know, God willing, we'll live and do this or that. James warns the New Testament against boasting 
you know, saying, you know, today or tomorrow we're going to move to this city and we're going to stay there for a year. We're going to make a profit. And, uh, you know, what is it? What is your life that you would know basically what's going to happen even tomorrow? I mean, you should say in humility, God willing, we'll live and do this or that. Because if God decides that uh, you're going in a different direction, then uh, that's what you need to do. Uh, if, if you know something catastrophic happens, something wonderful happens, something is just things change. That's the nature of life. Uh, you should have the humility and the wisdom, really, to, to recognize that that is always a possibility. So anyway, I don't want to count chickens before they hatch, but I've interviewed. Uh, I know that there's really nobody else in the running. There were a couple other guys. Uh, one of them is bowed out, uh, very graciously nominating me uh, to our manager. The other one is being transferred out of the area. And uh, there might be some other applicants. None of them are qualified, I don't believe. Um, so anyway, super, super excited about that. And uh, what it will mean for my family, for for me, for the people that I work with, um, because that's the other thing too, is, you know, I, I, this has always gotten me into trouble when uh, I work places, if I am a better communicator or more organized or thinking ahead of my boss, and then I articulate to my boss, you know, what it is that, hey, like, if you do that, then this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this, you know, and questioning their decisions and them getting upset because they feel like their authority is being challenged. It's, that's always been... Um, I wouldn't say a problem. Some of some of my bosses have handled that well and said, "Oh, you're right. Thank you. Actually, I'm glad you pointed that out because I hadn't even considered that." You know, other bosses have gotten really threatened and and been uh, I mean, just downright awful and petty about it. And here here I was. I was trying to help them and point out, like, "Hey, wait a second. Uh, you sure you want to do that?" <laughs> you know. But uh, and they ended up taking it as as uh, insubordination or disrespect or whatever. Um, you know, in this in this case, you know, I I really one of the things that I really want to do is I want to uh, pay attention to what those under me are. Uh, saying what their feedback is and to respect that, to value that, um, not necessarily to put, you know, all my eggs in that basket, but to listen to it, make sure they feel heard. So that way they're communicating when there are challenges, when there are, you know, things that need to be taken into account, um, you know, making sure that's rewarded. And that is, you know, as long as it's in good faith, uh, you know, Hey, like, thank you. Um, you know, I think too, I mean, good, good management. Um, and I, by that, I mean, not just making good decisions, but treating people with respect, you know, empowering people. I, I think, uh, there, there's such a need for that. Um, you know, 
I, I think back on people I've had as my bosses that have been just um, a huge blessing to where I come home with a smile on my face, you know, uh, excited about life because they were giving me kudos. They were being supportive. They were even just asking how my family was and being genuine about it uh, versus other bosses that have been just awful and horrible and malicious and and just rude for no reason because they were the boss uh, and they could get away with it and they didn't have to treat anybody under them with respect or dignity. You know, I compare and contrast to just what a, a difference that can make in life, you know, and, and then it ripples out to your family. You know, you're coming home frustrated with the boss uh, and and then you're frustrated, your, your mental resources are tied up in that because you're trying to figure out, well, how do I fix that? issue uh, at work to where my boss is not doing that, you know, and being that way. So then you have less resources at home, even when you are home to devote to family time and all that. And, uh, you know, on the flip side, I think a, a good boss, you know, if I come home and I'm, I'm not stressed out, I, I feel like, Hey, this, you know, we're a team at work. My boss uh, genuinely cares about me, respects me is going to be fair, uh, in his decisions and, and in, in, you know, whatever. Um, boy, it, it just sets a tone, right? I mean, just one way or the other, whether, whether you have a good boss or a bad boss. And so, you know, God willing, we live and do this or that. I get this position. Uh, I want to be a good boss. And, uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Some of the things I'm just not sure uh, about, um, you know, this this podcasting thing, blogging, you know, how does that work with, uh, you know, having a more um, high profile uh, position in the company? And that's something that's always worried me ever since I started writing and, and meanwhile, having these ambitions to get into management, feeling like I've got a good skill set for management at a high level. <clears throat> uh, you know, how does that mesh with, um, you know, feeling called to communicate truth, uh, speak truth to power in, in society and culture and politics the way that I do? How does that, how, how do those two things uh, coincide? Um, you know, and maybe, maybe there's not a, a, just a quick, easy, simple formula. Uh, you know, maybe it's just, Hey, you, you gotta be paying attention. You gotta be watching your words, uh, making sure you're not saying anything beyond what is true and appropriate. That's always been the case. Even if I were a janitor and, uh, and, and had a podcast that would be needful to watch my words. Um, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll remark that, uh, I don't, I don't feel that it's necessary for me to say, because now I'm going to be in this position, I'm going to just give up on all the rest of what I feel called to, you know, there's, there's occupations and then there's, there's calling and, uh, you know, I have responsibility uh, to my family to make sure that they're provided for, you know, my employer, if they've asked me to do something and they're paying me for it, I've got other people depending on me to do it. 
you know, I have a responsibility to my employer. I have a responsibility to uh, those depending on me at work. But I also have uh, a duty to my God. And uh, I don't want to be faithless in that, uh, even as I'm striving to be responsible and faithful and all the rest. Um, and that can be really a challenge to figure out and to navigate. You know, how how do these things all uh, line up? How do I juggle all of them? I don't think, just to be completely transparent and honest, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of thinking out loud right now. So, so bear with me if that's a problem for you. Um, or don't. <laughs> you don't have to. I mean, no, nobody's uh, forcing you to listen to this. Um, but, you know, when it comes to... Um, when it comes to the, the day and age that we live in, where there's so much outrage at microaggressions, quote unquote microaggressions, that's a term uh, for doing something that is bigoted or prejudiced or whatever, uh, even though it's not like overtly so, it's just you're implying something. You don't even have to necessarily know that you're guilty of a microaggression. It could all be subconscious, uh, you know, whatever. And then, and then if you're guilty of it, then the mob, and by the mob, I mean the crowd, the unruly, uh, crowd is, they are entitled apparently, uh, as recent history shows to get whipped into a frenzy and get upset and get angry and pitch a fit until they can destroy you, uh, or at least punish you appropriately, you know, uh, humiliate you, harass you, malign you, uh, ruin your career, punish you financially, um, whatever. Right. And so then, you know, you've got, I think a, a culture and a society of people that, you know, on the one hand, are objecting and have been objecting for some years to this microaggressions thing, uh, to the, the, uh, hysteria of, um, uh, the, the constantly offended who are looking for a reason to be offended under every rock. And they don't, they feel like something's off if they're not offended. Um, yeah. So, so on the one hand, you've got people that object to that, uh, who say, no, that's ridiculous. No way. Am I going to reward the pitching of fits by now not saying, not being honest or apologizing when I haven't done or said anything wrong just to point out, you know, basic truths or to say, have my own perspective that disagrees with yours. I don't have to say things just because that's the way you feel about it. I don't have to not say things just because that's the way you feel about it. Jordan Peterson, uh, you know, University of uh, uh, Toronto, I believe, if I remember right, professor, uh, clinical psychologist, really smart guy. Not that I agree with him on everything, because I think he's he's mistaken about uh, a number of things. But, you know, he got into trouble because he was refusing to use uh, these new gender pronouns, you know, Jay and Zay and, you know, whatever. Uh, to describe all, you know, this Baskin Robbins variety of, of new genders. And, uh, you know, he, he said, you know, it's, Hey, it's one thing. If you're going to tell me that you're free to be 
uh, transgender or bisexual or homosexual or whatever. That's one thing. When you go from that to then telling me you're going to force me to refer to you as this, that, or the other thing, or I, I now am being forced to do this or that or the other thing, that's where we cross the line into, you know, we're, we're leaving the, the land of liberty all of a sudden, and we're entering the land of fascism. And I refuse to uh, be forced to use these special words that you're, you're talking about, you know? And so he, he got into the spotlight. Now he's written a number of books. He's got a huge following of people that are so refreshed to hear someone, anyone, please, uh, articulating a defense of uh, at least some modicum of sanity, right? Uh, that's definitely, you know, as I build my career, as I'm a young man still, you know, 32 in November, here just a couple months away, my wife and I have been married for 12 years in November also. Uh, we have seven children. Uh, I've got a lot of, lot of uh, family <laughs> uh, to provide for a lot of family depending on me to bring home the bacon and to have gainful employment and to have a career that's building and growing. And, you know, I, <clears throat> there's definitely a part of me that has wondered, can I afford, can my family afford for me to be honest? And, uh, you know, I see, uh, and I won't name names, but I see people that I know who, uh, believe just the same as I do, you know, uh, family members who, you know, behind closed doors and in private or at a reunion or whatever, uh, they are just as adamant about all of these things as I am. And yet, uh, you know, either they've never dared to say anything like this uh, in public uh, or else they did for a time, and then they faced backlash, and they faced pressure at work, in their extended family, uh, you know, in-laws, whatever, friends, and and they they lost their nerve, and they they uh, evaporated, and uh, you know, and then you know, their their defense is that. They're being discreet and that they're just being, they're being responsible, right? They're, they are focusing on their responsibilities to their family, immediate family, to their workplace. And they can't jeopardize uh, their ability to be gainfully employed by saying things that uh, destroy people's careers these days. You know, by by challenging the popular narrative, I I will admit, and this is a confession. This is not a, a boast. This is not a uh, you know go and do likewise kind of a statement here. So please take it with a grain of salt, and and just take it as me being genuine and and being vulnerable and, and honest right now. Uh, but I will confess to you, I have been so absolutely frustrated with family and friends that. Uh, could say privately, discreetly, uh, exactly what the truth is. They know what the truth is. They know what's right. And yet have zero courage, apparently, 
to either uh, say those things uh, or even apparently uh, to stand by me if I would say those things. You know, their courage evaporates in the face of opposition. And, and so they're cowards is, is what it is. I've tried uh, uh, soothing their egos. I've tried paying lip service to it. But it's really, it's a hard choice of you're either in or you're out. You know, if you distance yourself from me because I'm saying some things are black and white, some things are right and wrong. They're not gray. Not everything is 50 shades of gray. Okay. Thus saith the Lord. You know, some things are right and wrong. And by golly, I have every right to believe that and to live according. I have a right to communicate that. And not only a right, but I would dare say an, a duty to communicate that. Uh, you know, it's one thing, not everybody is, is, uh, as communicative. Not everybody knows the words to say. Uh, and uh, quite honestly, I don't think everybody's called. Right. Uh, and that's fine. You know, my wife, for instance, I don't think she's called to necessarily, um, you know, jump up and have a podcast. She has talked to you recently about having a blog, which I think would be cool. I'm trying to encourage her to do it. Um, but you know, the thing that she would feel called to write about, I think, would be, by and large, like, here's what it's like, uh, my life, you know, being a wife and a mother and, you know, maybe uh, meditations on the scriptures and, uh, you know, God. And, and I think that's cool. You know, she's a different person. I think God gave her different, a different personality, different perspective, different temperament. And I don't believe her calling is exactly 100% a mirror of mine. I believe, you know, since we're husband and wife, it's uh, complementary, and it's going to be connected uh, in in many ways. Her calling and my calling, but they're different. And so, also, I mean, I've got extended family. I've got uncles and aunts and cousins, uh, etc. Uh, people I go to church with who. Uh, you know, their callings are not going to be the same as my calling, and that's fine. Um, where I get frustrated, though, is where I say that to them in recognition that, okay, you know what, maybe you're not called uh, to stand on a rooftop and start shouting, <laughs> hey, guys, uh, wake up, thus saith the Lord, like, repent. Um you know, I say that to them as a way of acknowledging, okay, maybe you're not sinning uh, to, to not be doing exactly what I'm doing right now, even though it's needful. And then I, I get so frustrated when it seems there's a not a, a reciprocation of that. Uh, the, the return on my investment of uh, being gracious is to imply that because they're not called, then therefore I'm not either. And that's absurd. I'm sorry. That's just that's just ridiculous. Uh, you know, there's uh, there there are, are a number of things. I, I've got so many different directions I could go from here. 
you know, even just with this episode and talking about this subject. Um, one thing I want to touch on that I have a mind to touch on is uh, a certain pastor here in town. Uh, his name is Jordan Hall, and it's no mystery, it's no secret to anybody that uh, knows me, and I think most of the people that know Jordan Hall here in town. I guess, I guess one guy that I uh, know who goes to his church has been asked, uh, "Hey, do you know Garrett?" Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. He wrote an article about me for his his blog, and uh, you know, I I I don't uh, respect the way that he goes about communicating the truth, uh, and and for that matter, that is to say, <clears throat> even more importantly, I don't really trust that. Uh, you know, all of what he's saying is the truth. You know, it, it's, uh, it, it's similar to my concerns about vaccines, right? And that's opening up a can of worms, but whatever, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta open a can of worms to, to go fishing sometimes. Uh, you know, vaccines in theory, who would be against, uh, being inoculated against a, a disease, or having your children inoculated against a disease. I mean, who's against that? Um, the the problem I have, my wife has, uh, with vaccines is for one, the the ingredients. You know, in addition to a weakened strain of whatever it is you're being inoculated against, uh, there's oftentimes some really toxic. Nasty, gross, awful stuff that they put in vaccines. Uh, for instance, uh, aborted fetal tissue. Um, I I want to throw up. I just quite honestly, I want to throw up at the thought of having a vaccine, taking a vaccine that was developed with aborted uh, fetal tissue. I just that bothers me. If it would contain it or whatever. It really, really bothers me, the thought of that. Um, mercury. I'd, I'm not really too hot about the idea of, of uh, mercury, thermosol, uh, being in, in uh, vaccines. You know, there's, there's nasty stuff that they put in vaccines. It's like, you know what, just because in theory this is a helpful thing that you're offering, that doesn't – that doesn't compensate for the fact that you're putting some toxic stuff in there. And it doesn't mean that it's all healthy. You know, that the theory then sanctifies the toxins that you're, you're adding into the ingredients. Same also with Pastor Jordan Hall here in Sydney, Montana. Uh, you know, if you, in theory, yes, speaking these truths in boldness is really fantastic. And thank you for having some boldness. But uh, practically, where the rubber meets the road, um, how dare you uh, grind up glass and then sprinkle it on the oatmeal that you're feeding people and then call it sugar? Uh, shame on you for that. You know, and, and then the frustrating thing of it all, too, is anytime anybody rebukes him, any, anybody challenges him, that goes to that church. Uh, even elders and deacons, those in leadership, 
uh, he's never apparently the one who's wrong. He's he always church disciplines them right out. And wouldn't you know it, all that's left are people that are afraid of him or that uh, idolize him. He's built a little cult of personality around himself. Uh, I don't respect that. Uh, in, in point of fact, uh, I would say that is satanic. And God have mercy on uh, him and the people under him. And I had, in, in one of my most uh, distressing moments here the past year, uh, had someone that uh, I know and love and am very close to uh, liken me to him. Because we were having a debate about something, and he got upset, and I got upset, and we got upset together and at each other, and etc. And I got accused of being like Jordan Hall. And, uh, and, and just, you know, Hey Jordan, if you're listening, <laughs> um, buddy, I, I love you. Um, I even at, at times have admired you, but you, you need to knock it off. Yeah, I'm, I'm serious. You really do. Um, but somebody saying that I'm, I'm like Jordan Hall in the way that I've seen him behave uh, towards people, you know, as a, as a matter of course, as a, as a rule, as a pattern of behavior, systematically being rude uh, and condescending and arrogant and needlessly abrasive and insulting and then calling that uh, a love for the truth. Uh, you know, somebody accusing me of that, um, either A, uh, it's like, hey, I really, really, really need to take a step back and reevaluate myself. Or B, uh, them's fighting words. Like, <laughs> you take that back. Like, that, <laughs> you know, um, Yeah, I, I definitely I took a, a step back from a lot of my posting and my writing to reevaluate. And I do this from time to time, usually when there's some kind of a conflict with somebody that I know. Somebody unfriends me, somebody gets all bent out of shape, gets offended because I wrote something, I said something. And uh I think I think it's right. There's there's been times I've wrestled with is that uh weakness in me to take a step back when somebody blows up at me and gets all angry. Um, especially evaluating the Jordan Hall thing where anytime he's confronted, he just church disciplines, uh, anybody and everybody right out. Um, I think that the correct thing is to take a step back, uh, and, and to reevaluate and to say, you know, Hey, is there something I need to repent of here? Do I need to change my wicked ways? Do I have a bad attitude? Am I being ungodly here? Um, I will say to, to counterbalance, though, um, and in fairness, in this day and age, uh, just even to presuppose that there are absolutes and then to say them is her is heresy. When when the cardinal 
sin is to deny somebody uh, the right to just create meaning out of nothing because they feel a certain way. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter how gently, how carefully, how lovingly you communicate the truth. And in fact, um, my, the one there, there's two extreme opposite trends that I've noticed that both distress me to a great deal, make me want to just go live in the woods uh, until Jesus comes back. <laughs> um, one is the Jordan Hall types, and I will I will call him out by name uh, as a viper, venomous, malicious viper, uh, wolf in sheep's clothes, and uh, Lord, if I'm wrong, forgive me. But that's the way he's acting, and I'm I am not only. Free to, I am responsible to, I'm commanded to judge a fruit by its tree. Good tree does not produce bad fruit. And I'm seeing a lot of bad fruit. Um, you know, that's, that's the one pole, the one extreme. The other extreme is, and here I will not name names because there's too many to name, and I would I would feel unfair to just name one. Uh, but the other extreme is all the very many many Christians I know who, at, out of fear of offending anybody, they so soften the truth that by the end of them speaking, you're not even really entirely sure what they said. And, and in that case, you know, it's like, maybe we should all just be quiet, right? Like if we don't have anything to say, uh, maybe we should, uh, what is it? Uh, was that Thumper in Bambi? That was his line. You know, if you can't say something nice, then don't say anything at all. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm getting my Disney characters mixed up, but anyway, the point being, uh, we don't testify to the truth when we so sugarcoat things that nobody could even tell what it is that we're actually trying to say. And that's the point, right? I think you know, that's the point. It's not prudence. It's not I'm trying to be spirit-led and let the Holy Spirit convict you. No, you're a coward. Sorry, you, you're a coward. You, <laughs> you're trying to be so vague and sound so spiritual and sound so uh profound that nobody even knows what you're saying so that nobody persecutes you for saying the thing that gets people really upset that's what it is um so also though uh maybe even worse is uh you know I'm going to make you a bowl of oatmeal here and in place of sugar I'm going to sprinkle some uh, ground up glass and it looks like sugar at first blush sparkles like sugar why would I think it was anything else but then I start to eat it and it's tearing up my insides and I'm second guessing is there something wrong with me or could you put something in my food oh it's oatmeal oatmeal is good for you eat it why don't you want oatmeal you know what you're an abusive monster shut up God have mercy on you. How dare you abuse your position? How dare you? 
And God forbid I do likewise or anyone else do likewise. And if I have, please, God, forgive me. Now, I try to be very careful uh, with my words. And, and that will come as a surprise to some people because I say things uh, that are upsetting. Uh, and yet, I'm saying them deliberately most of the time. I have my tired moments, but most of the time on purpose because that seems to be what is true. Is it true? Is it necessary? You know, uh, if you ask me, how does this hat make me look? And I say, it makes you look like a big dork. That's a stupid hat. And you're fat. And you got a little bit of mustard on the side of your mouth. You know, if I say, oh, that's maybe true. Is it necessary? Is it helpful? Probably not. Depending on who you are, it might be funny. I know uh, Jeremy Argerbright, a um, friend of mine, uh, hadn't seen him for a few years. We used to see him and his wife, Amber, uh, more often back when we rented a house out in the country north of Glendive. They farm. Uh, Amber's father is my dad's first cousin, Tom. They farm up on the table, the plateau, right around the property that we used to rent. And so then they would also keep their equipment stored on the property that we were renting. And then they would come up there and they'd work on their equipment. They'd take it out and go harvest and plant. And then they would put it back in and go home. And But anyway, I saw Jeremy here at our family reunion, mullet family reunion, uh, last weekend. And uh, I had a, had a great conversation. He's kind of a... Kind of a wacky guy. Um, definitely got his own personality. Very, uh, very funny. I really enjoy Jeremy. Um, kind of a twisted sense of humor sometimes, but I, I like it. I, <laughs> I think it's funny. Um, but at one point, he showed me this pocket knife he had made. And because of his personality being what it is, he's got a twisted sense of humor, and he's you know just kind of an absurdist. Uh, I, and I hope I didn't offend you, Jeremy, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I really didn't mean to offend you by making fun of your pocket knife, but he may, he pulled out this pocket knife and I started to just like make merciless fun of it because it, it looks, I'm sorry. It looks like a, a folding butter knife. Uh, and I was like, you know, Hey, are you going to be out in public? Somebody's like, man, I wish I could spread some butter right now. And you're going to pull that out and say, ah, ah, ha, ha, ha. Have I got the tool for you, you know, just for such an occasion as this, you know, um, and he, his wife and myself and my wife, uh, we were just laughing like so hard, uh, about his, about his folding pocket knife. Um, my point in all of that is to say, I think you need to know your audience, right? Um, especially with communicating online, if you're going to have a big audience, it's impossible to know uh, who all is going to be reading or listening to what you're saying. Like this right now, you listening, whoever you are, I probably didn't account for your perspective. Just so you know, I wasn't thinking about your feelings and how you're going to hear this, you specifically. As I'm speaking, I'm not necessarily like right now. I was just talking about Jeremy Argerbright. So, yeah, I'm going to think about Jeremy. If Jeremy were listening to this right now, 
how would it strike him? Would he think it was funny? You know, if somebody making the decision on whether I get this uh, regional supervisor position is listening right now, how is it going to strike them? Are they going to be like, oh, better? <laughs> Maybe we, uh, we've been a little hasty. We, we should probably find somebody else uh, besides the scary guy. I mean, I don't know, right? But you could do that with any communication. And, and then if we're going to allow that to paralyze us, we're just not going to say anything ever. And what a what a foolish choice that would be. Uh, I think we should be judicious, um, bridle our tongues, and, uh, and make them go where they need to go and stop when they need to stop, slow down. But it's, uh, it's not realistic to think about and take into account every single person's feelings. I don't think it's healthy. It's not right. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, on the other hand, if your concern is the truth, you know, uh, that boy, that really clarifies and simplifies things. If with each word and each sentence and each big idea that I'm communicating, my first thought is, is it true? Boy, that really decomplicates the process of deciding what to say and what not to say. And that should be enough. Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it helpful? I think in this day and age, it is necessary and helpful to be willing to say the truth regardless of how people feel. But this is a, this is a big, this is, it may seem like a minor distinction, but it makes all the difference in the world. Uh, you know, Jordan Hall, I, I will call him by name because he is so shameless and he takes any rebuke uh, and, and tries to turn it into him being a martyr. And so he'll just eat it up that I'm rebuking him by name here. Uh, Jordan Hall I really believe from observing and from engaging with him that uh, he he's not concerned about how uh, what he says makes people feel when that concern would lead him to be careful and judicious in his wording of things. That's that's my observation. If that's too broad of a brush to paint with, you know, so be it. God forgive me. I'm willing to stand corrected, but I believe genuinely that when people are not offended and people are not upset, that he feels like something's off. I think that's, I think that's a big part of it. And so he's, he's rephrasing things, even when it's not necessary to put a little bit of uh, elbow in there <laughs> on the play, he's throwing elbows. You know, I, I think of, uh, I think of watching, uh, Zatlan. Uh, there was this, uh, becoming Zatlan documentary on Netflix, but this young, uh, uh Ibrahim, Abraham, Ab Abraham, 
Abrahamovic. Is that right? Anyway. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Zatlan Abrahamovic. Ibrahimovic. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Anyway, obviously you can tell I'm not a real big super soccer expert. But really, uh, you know, talented soccer player over in Europe, but even more than being talented, just absolutely full of himself and didn't act like he needed anybody else on the team was always just really super abrasive. And, um, you know, there was this one, uh, game. I remember them showing where the other team really got in his head and they were trying to push him around and box him out and get him agitated, get under his skin. So he wouldn't play very well. And they succeeded. And at a certain point, uh, when, you know, the ref's not looking, nobody's paying attention. Uh, he's getting kind of pushed a little bit and he just hauls off and gives this other player the elbow, like hard, hard and doubles him over. And, I think we can be that way with the truth. Uh, you know, even the, even God's truth, even the gospel, where you know, hey, we've got this that we are responsible before God to say, and are we going to throw an elbow in there just uh, just because? Uh, it's fun just because it, just because we uh, we feel like we're going to be protected, uh, you know, and and maybe because we're looking to get people upset. You know, if so, shame on that. You know, I think it's one thing. You know, let's say my kids, right? Uh, my kids say, "Hey," and this happened last night. Dad, can we have some ice, uh, some uh, some cake? And with the exception of Josiah, who's birthday cake it is that we're trying to finish up before it goes bad with the exception of Josiah I told everybody else no you can't you can't have cake it's too late it's nine o'clock we're eating supper too late tonight just because it was a busy day the rest of you guys need to go brush your teeth get ready for bed and one of them just whined and whined and whined I won't give names just he was why does Josiah get cake ah, I want to get you know and I answered the question three or four times and it's like you know what son like you're not getting it you're you're, you're not wanting to hear what I'm saying you just need to go and brush your teeth period discussion's over go do what you need to do the decision has been made I had the decision to make I made it move on um you know one of them he started looking like he was gonna cry you know one of the younger ones and uh i've told my children you know if you want a surefire no that's gonna stick uh throw a fit to try and get what you want if i might have given it to you before and changed my mind I sure won't if you throw a fit and cry about it. Because if you throw a fit and you cry about it, I'm rewarding you to give you what you want. Uh, you know, that's something to keep in mind. You know, people are throwing a fit because you said something that was true. 
and then you reward them by being quiet from there on out, congratulations. You just encouraged them to do that the next time, to respond like that the next time. But so also, you know, if you've got a bully who is being rude, unnecessarily rude and arrogant, and you're not saying what is true, and you're not rebuking that, you're not calling that out because you're afraid, congratulations, you've just rewarded that bad behavior. You've given that person exactly what they wanted. And I think the, the impact, I believe, this is my theory, I believe the impact of the gospel uh, on us as uh, individuals, on families, on churches, on communities, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, I think it is a purifying effect when we embrace the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and I'll explain that just very high level, briefly, in theory. You know, when, when God says, you guys, you have failed to meet my standard of righteous behavior, righteous action, you have wicked intentions, and the penalty is death. But I've already paid the price. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Uh, sin had left its crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. You know, God has made the atoning sacrifice to pay the penalty for your sins so that you can be made right. Believe and confess with your mouth. Repent. And, and you do. When you do, repent of your sins confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You confess that. You believe in your heart. You know, when you're willing and able to admit, you know what? I was wrong. I am sorry about that. Please forgive me. That clears up a lot of log jams for other people. And it's a testimony to other people. Now, on the, on the other hand, if somebody is always preaching repentance and they never repent themselves, you know, it's like that Jim Gaffigan bit where he's like, he, he feels like it's a hostage negotiation in reverse uh, every time it's bedtime, you know, his kids, they act like they've never heard of bedtime, you know, bedtime, what's that? I don't want to do that. That's our response to repentance. Then how is it that we're expecting to be proclaiming the gospel to other people and for them to not be totally and completely confused? You know, I think part of our Willingness to repent should include, you know, if we have been silent in the face of injustice, in the face of sin, where we should have spoken. If we have endorsed uh, tacitly 
implicitly or explicitly wickedness and affirmed it because we were only trying to save our own skin. You know, hey, we shouldn't be objecting proudly to the idea that we need to repent. If we've been throwing elbows unnecessarily, when we don't think the ref is looking or when we don't think we can be ejected from the game, I believe we should repent. You know, I I don't know uh, what's in other people's minds and hearts. Um, you know, Jesus does say at one point, you can judge uh, a tree by the fruit that it produces, whether it's a good tree, it's a bad tree. Every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. You know, if it's, if it is, uh, not something you want <laughs> to be cut down and thrown into the fire. I, I don't want to be. I, I presume other people don't want to be. That sounds like a pretty gruesome, awful uh, outcome. Um, you know, if, I'm, if I have any instinct for self-preservation, I'm going to at least take a look at what it takes to, what it requires to not uh, have that outcome for me. And Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Those are the two greatest commandments. And so if I love my neighbor as I love myself, if I love you as I love myself, then I'm going to encourage you to look into what it would take, what it requires. What does the Lord require of you? He has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The gospel is supposed to be a profoundly humbling thing, influence. The gospel shows that we are sinners that stand condemned. The gospel should uh, encourage us to treat others with respect, uh, not to respect sin and not to flatter. Because that is an injustice. And actually, if we contradict God on any point as a way of trying to soothe the emotions of the people around us, we're not walking humbly with our God, if you think about it. It takes a lot of arrogance to contradict God. If God says up and we say down, because this guy over here, he really likes down. He's just feeling down, you know. Whoa, buddy. Like That's, that's not humility. That's not walking humbly with your God. And it's not doing justice. It's really not loving mercy either. And to love mercy means you testify to the truth. So that there can be repentance, so there can be a basis for reconciliation.
How can there be reconciliation without repentance? I think for those in my family who uh, have behind closed doors been incredibly bold and then when given a platform have run in fear or have hidden their light under a bushel, uh, I'll let... God be the judge of why that was, whether that was the right. You know, I am reminded and have discussed this with some in my family. Uh, you know, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. You know, I guess, I guess, uh, <laughs> You know, maybe this podcast and my blogging thing before that, it's not as widely read as some, uh, you know, Jordan Hall, for instance, I think he's got a very, very popular po um, podcast and blog, I believe, Pulpit and Pen. It's, it's either or both those two things. And that doesn't prove that it's right or appropriate. Now, popularity doesn't means something's bad either. It's easier for something that's popular that a lot of people are looking at to attract a lot more negative attention than something that nobody's paying any attention to. But, you know, I think about how many people view and read uh, mainstream media, and that doesn't prove that it's reliable. Uh, you know, getting more people to believe a lie or to embrace as good something that's completely inappropriate uh, it only compounds the problem. It doesn't, again, inoculate uh, society or those individuals from the negative effects of embracing things that are not true, that are not godly, that are not right. So anyway, if you're listening still at the very end of this, my encouragement to you would be to be bold. Uh, sorry, I've got flies invading my house here. Be bold. Don't let uh, the expectation of criticism derail you. You know, Aristotle once said, there's only one way to avoid criticism. Do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. That's not what God's called us to. But with whatever he's called us to, let us have the humility uh, to walk the path he's set for us in a way that honors him with grace, with loving kindness. In any event, thank you for listening. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, suggestions, remarks, etc., you can find me on social media or you can email me at garrettmullet at gmail.com. That's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-M-U-L-L-E-T -L -L -E at gmail.com.
Thank you and God bless.